Well, the big the big thing here really is getting control of your future. And, you know, once you can control your future, whether it's in, in energy or whether it's in agriculture or whether it's in health or whatever, then you have an opportunity to make it better because you're no longer subject to somebody else's decision-making. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of Infinite Earth Radio, where each week we interview thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities. We have a great show for you today. Our guest is the mayor of one of the lowest income communities in the San Francisco Bay Area, but it is also a city on the rise that is taking control of its future and tackling a wide range of important sustainability and equity issues, from local renewable energy production and transit-oriented design to community policing and the Black Lives Matter movement. Bernice, let's get right to our guest. Our guest today, Tom Butt, who is an accomplished architect, who has a long and distinguished history of community and public service in the San Francisco Bay Area and is a board member of the Local Government Commission. And he currently serves as the mayor of Richmond, California. Tom, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. So, Tom, uh, we'll get right to the tough questions. Uh, In 2014, you ran for mayor of Richmond for the first time, and your campaign spent about $50,000. At the same time, petroleum giant Chevron Oil spent about $3 million in support of your opponent. And in spite of that massive spending against you, you won. You've worked tirelessly throughout your career in service of the community. Why was Chevron so motivated to defeat you? You know, I don't think they were as motivated to defeat me as they were to have candidate win. So they invested in a fellow named Nat Bates, who was and still is on the city council with me. And he's a he's a person who's probably 100% Chevron, and uh, it would have been a good investment for him. You know, they, they ran a whole slate, and none of their slate won. And um, what, what was, what, what in particular is their agenda for Richmond that is inconsistent with what you're doing as mayor? Well, I think their agenda always has been to essentially own the city council. And they've been able to do that for over 100 years. But starting about six or seven years ago, they started losing that grip. And, you know, we have a city council now who is, you know, totally independent of Chevron, except for maybe one council member. So, Mayor Butt, your session at the New Partners for Smart Growth Conference is titled Community Power and City Action, Solar Farming in the Refinery's Backyard, which will focus on how the city of Richmond developed the largest urban solar farm in the San Francisco Bay Area at the Chevron Refinery. Can you tell us about how this project came into existence? Yes, Chevron has been in the process of trying to 
do a modernization project for their refinery since well before 2008. They actually got a project approved in 2008. I voted against it, but uh, I was in the minority. And it was challenged on uh, CEQA grounds, California Environmental Quality Act. It was legally challenged by Communities for a Better Environment. And they prevailed in court, and the court had the project shut down. And so starting around 2011 or so, Chevron decided to make another run at it. And what, what we told them the second time around was we said, look, you know, there's some good things about this. It's going to make the refinery more energy efficient. It's probably going to make it safer. We're not totally against it. But the environmental review of it has to be well done. It has to be bulletproof, and essentially, you know, that we don't want to cut corners like the city council and Chevron did the first time around. So they started with a new application. And ultimately, it was approved last year. But as a part of the application, they understood and took to heart that they needed to have a side agreement for community benefits. And so we negotiated a $90 million community benefits agreement with them as a side agreement to approving the project. And all of it is cash. $80 million of it is cash. And $10 million is is essentially an in-kind contribution for land for this solar farm. It's on, it's on Chevron property. It's about 60 acres. And they agreed to provide it at no cost to Marin Clean Energy, which would be the sponsor of this project we're talking about. So it's a 10.5 megawatt solar farm. The first phase is going to be, I think, two and a half megawatts, but the second phase is going to follow right behind it. The developer of it will have a contract to provide renewable energy to Marin Clean Energy, which will then will be part of their portfolio. They serve parts of four counties, including parts of Contra Costa County where Richmond's located. And are you expecting that it'll bring down the emissions levels in Richmond and in other parts of Contra Costa County that abut Richmond in terms of moving away from some of the need for fossil fuel produced energy? Well, it certainly will bring down the level of greenhouse gas generation, you know, because renewable energy is more of an accounting issue than it is actually where the electrons flow. You know, this energy will go into the, it'll go into the grid and it'll come out of the grid and it'll be accounted for as renewable energy and it will, it will replace energy that, that would not have been renewable, that would probably have been fossil fuel generated. So I guess the short answer is yes, it will reduce greenhouse gases substantially and, and it will do it locally. You know, there's, we feel like that it's better to do, to do these projects locally because it creates jobs and it creates a sense that people are involved in it locally. Excellent. Will the reconstruction of the Chevron plant have an impact on air quality within the local community? One of the things they had to do was commit to no new emissions. So the project is a net zero greenhouse gas emitter, and it's also either equal or lower emissions of various air-contaminating compounds. So, Mayor, but given the environmental benefits agreement that you mentioned that was developed and structured for this project, 
There's also a huge equity component to this effort. Can you explain to our listeners how the project has or will improve the lives of low-income residents who have faced a history of environmental injustice issues in Richmond and across uh, Contra Costa County and the East Bay? The big picture is that from an environmental justice standpoint, most looting industrial operations end up being near low-income communities. That's true for power plants just about everywhere. We don't have any power plants in Richmond right now, but we will be providing clean renewable energy that will supplant fossil fuel energy that would have had to come from other power plants that are located in other places near low-income communities. One of the benefits of this, too, is that there's a 50% local hire requirement for it. So the people who will be building this are largely low-income people from Richmond who have been trained in the city of Richmond's Richmond Build Project. They've been trained to do solar installations. For some of them, this will be their first job. So they'll get an opportunity to work on this. And some of them, they'll be working for contractors. I think some of them will probably just keep their jobs and and work on other installations for these same contractors other places. Some of them, it may just be an opportunity for them to get the first real job on their resume and, and give them a leg up. Sounds like you thought really holistically about the multiple dimensions of what can be inserted into this environmental benefits agreement. Are you going to talk about that at your session at New Partners for Smart Growth? Yeah, you know, we have a, a, an ordinance in Richmond called Health in All Policies. What it essentially does is require our city government to look at every action it takes through a, a lens of health. If we do anything that does not improve health, or even worse, you know, is a negative to the health of some group in Richmond, we try to find a different way of doing it. And I think that that this solar project we've been talking about is an example of that because it, you know, it has multiple benefits, but at the end of the day, it does beneficially affect people's health in a number of ways. You know, there's this saying that your zip code is more important than your genetic code. And what that means is that statistically, people who come from uh, low-income neighborhoods statistically don't live as long. They don't, they don't have as good uh, health as people who live in wealthier neighborhoods. And so I think this example of the 50% local hire rule and training people from low-income neighborhoods in Richmond to be proficient in the solar industry and to find jobs in that is a way of essentially ultimately improving their health by giving them an opportunity to put behind them the you know the the disbenefits of of coming from a low income neighborhood Tom it's a great project so i assume that part of what you were able to do is leverage your role in the delivery of electricity but what advice or words of wisdom do you have for other communities looking to leverage their role in delivery of electricity to the citizens for smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable community outcomes? Well, the big, the big thing here really is, uh, is getting control of your future. And, you know, once you can control your future, whether it's in, in energy or whether it's in agriculture 
or whether it's in health or whatever, then you have an opportunity to make it better because you're you're no longer subject to somebody else's decision making. So this this idea of pursuing community choice aggregation, which is what marine clean energy is, you know, marine clean energy was the first and still the largest community choice aggregation agency in California. And it, it provides electrical power to parts of four counties, including Contra Costa County where Richmond is, and it may be expanding soon. So what it has enabled people who are in the communities that subscribe to it is to get control of their destiny. So now, typically, uh, throughout its service area, about 80 to 85% of electricity users have chosen to stay with marine clean energy. Amazingly enough, you know, the way it's set up, it's an opt-out system. So once the city decides to make that changeover, then everybody gets changed over automatically unless they decide not to. It's kind of mind-boggling that anybody would decide not to because not only is marine clean energy far more renewable than the alternative, but it's also cheaper. You know, PG&E, which is the investor-owned utility that, that would be the that people would have to opt out to stay in, their energy portfolio is about 27% renewable. The lowest level of marine clean energy is 50% renewable, and you can actually go 100% renewable. You pay, you pay a little bit more for it if you're a residential customer. If you're a commercial customer, it's actually cheaper than PG&E. So there's a lot of advantages. You know, this it's not substantially cheaper. It's, you know, it's a couple of dollars or something a month maybe. But just enabling people who are on a low income to purchase an energy at, at a savings is a benefit to them. This is an example of how people can get control of their destiny. And, and we're doing other things in Richmond. We do a lot of work in urban agriculture. And we're pushing every initiative we can to encourage people to grow their own food in Richmond so that they're not, you know, they're not dependent on on industrial agriculture for what they eat. And you're also doing a lot of development around transit-oriented development, are you not? We're very lucky in Richmond. We have access to three BART stations. And the one that's, that's in Richmond is actually the only trimodal transportation hub in the Bay Area because it, it has direct access to Capital Corridor, which is a rail commuter network, and uh, Amtrak, as well as BART, and of course, as well as bus, and then, you know, all the other things, taxis and so forth. So, And for our non-Bay Area listeners, BART is the Bay Area rapid transit system. Right. Part of it's underground, so it's a subway, and... Part of it's above ground, but yeah. So we want to shift gears for a minute and ask you about another topic that we think is so important to creating smarter, more sustainable, and more just communities. And that's the concept of community policing and the relationship between the justice system and communities of color. Your city, Richmond, California, has recently been held up as an example of effective community policing and positive relationships between law enforcement and low-income communities of color. Can you share with our audience a little bit about how the city of Richmond has achieved this success where other communities have struggled? We get asked this question a lot, you know, and people want to pinpoint exactly what was it that made the difference, but it's difficult to do that. You know, for one thing, we had, we've had we had a great police chief. He's been here nine years, and he's built a culture in the police department that I've, I'm confident will stay with us. And then we have some non-conventional programs 
that we do. One of them is the Richmond Office of Neighborhood Safety, and and also we're involved in ceasefire. But the Office of Neighborhood Safety is it's one of those unique things where that group of people tries to identify the really a handful of people who are most likely to be perpetrators or victims of gun violence. And they try to steer them in another direction. And by all accounts, it's been, it's been pretty successful. And, you know, you couple that with a police chief who's brought really effective community policing to Richmond. He's rebuilt trust in the police department around Richmond. Also brought in some interesting technology like our shot spotter system. It can actually pinpoint the location of a of any gunshot instantly and provide that information to the police department. So putting all this together, I think it made Richmond safer, but it's also increased the perception of safety. And one of the results of that is is that you see more people out walking and bicycling and kids walking to school and things like that. And that's a benefit. And Mayor Bud, if I'm not mistaken, your police chief is the police chief who had a rather welcoming response to the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement in Contra Costa County. Is that correct? And has that had any positive ripples? Well, it did. And I think it's a part of the way he's built trust in the community. You know, one of our local youth organizations decided to have a demonstration back, you know, a few days after Ferguson. And a lot of people turned out, including our police chief. And there's a photograph of him holding a sign that says Black Lives Matter that's pretty much gone viral. And most of our city council members, including me, turned out. And and I think those kinds of things uh, are things that mean a lot to the community. And overall, they they help build this uh, level of trust between the community, between law enforcement. One of the things he's done is, is work really hard to train his officers to resolve situations, you know, that, that don't escalate. So, Mayor Bud, how can people learn more about what you and the city of Richmond are doing across an, an array of areas? One good way, just be take a look at our website. You can look for uh, uh, sustainability and well, there's a page or several pages on that. Also, our general plan has a sustainability element in it, and although we've put it off far too long, we're just about finished with our climate action plan. Uh, so there's a, there's, there's a lot of, lot of sources. Again, most of them are available on the city's website. Great. Mr. Mayor, we, we have a couple of kind of short questions that we've we asked every person that we've interviewed, so we're just kind of looking for your quick, off-the-top-of-your-head answers to these questions. So question number one is, If you could implement one change or pick one leverage point that would lead to smarter, more sustainable, and more equitable communities, what would it be? It would be elect the right city council. (laughs) We've been fortunate, you know, about the the same time we weaned ourselves from Chevron control, we ended up with a very progressive city council that has a lot of progressive ideas. As a matter of fact, some of them are so progressive they've gone beyond me. But I think the one thing we all agree on are areas that involve the environment and sustainability. And so by having that clear majority on the city council, we've we've been able to take so many of these initiatives and and run with them. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's all political. And if your city council has the political will and the motivation to move the city in that direction, 
then there's a lot of help out there. You know, uh, a lot of people have gone before us, and and there are a lot of examples to lo- look at. And that's the way you do it. It's politics is the most important part of it. So, in that vein, then, what one action would you recommend to our listeners that they could take to help build a more equitable and sustainable future? If we're talking about cities. It would be to evaluate the people who are on your city council, find out which ones of them are willing to support that kind of agenda and try to keep them and the ones who are not willing to support it and try to replace them. At the end of the day, these public policies are set by elected officials and you've got to get the right set of elected officials in there to go the right direction. So, Mr. Mayor, if you're successful in the work that you're doing, what does Richmond look like 30 years from now? I think that Richmond is going to be, it's going to be safer, it's going to be cleaner, it's going to be healthier. You know, we're going to be, we're going to be a different place. But I think Richmond will always be a place where people that have challenges and economic and and challenges can can find a home. Right now, Richmond has the, we have the, the second lowest median household income of any city in the entire Bay Area, a hundred and some odd, 120 or so cities. And so Richmond is not rich. It's a city of very modest means. And we continually have to be creative to try to find ways to fund all these initiatives and get them done. That's great. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mr. Mayor. I'm hoping that we can have you back on a future show to talk about the urban agriculture work that you're doing. You know, maybe we can have you back and just talk about that as a subject. Okay, well, that's one of my favorite subjects. I'd be glad to do it. Yeah, one of, one of mine, too. Unfortunately, we have run out of time for this week, but thank you so much, Mr. Mayor, and we look forward to having you back as a guest on a future show. We want to thank you all for listening today, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Infinite Earth Radio. Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, the Local Government Commission, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash infinite earth radio and Twitter by following at infinite earth radio. 